If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And it says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Paul. You know, some people are just a little bit odd, aren't they? If we're honest. Don't look around, by the way. <laughs> but there, <coughs> there's... <laughs> Don't look around, by the way. <laughs> but there's no one who was stranger than John the Baptist. He really was a little bit weird. He lived rough. He didn't care what he looked like. In fact, he dressed in camel hair with a big leather belt tied around his waist. And I imagine him with a big bushy beard, disheveled looking hair. The sort of guy that you smell before you see. He probably wouldn't have looked out of place among the the local tramps. And then there was his diet. See, he lived on a diet of locusts. And wild honey. Now, anybody who lives on such a high sugar diet, supplemented by insects, has got to be seriously highly strung. Maybe a good source of protein, of vitamins and minerals, just not my idea of a light snack. And yet, people would come from miles around to see John. So if they weren't coming for his fashionable dress sense or for advice on dietary tips or hygiene... Why were they coming to see John? Perhaps, perhaps it was for his motivational talks. Well, Mark, Mark gives us a little clue to how John preached in verse 4. And I guess we could sum up John's preaching in one word, repent. And I can imagine John yelling this at the very top of his voice, repent, turn from your sins, get baptized, and come to God. And John John doesn't care who he speaks to. He will go up to absolutely anyone. This is the guy who stands in the middle of the street with an A board over both shoulders with the words, repent, the end of the world draweth nigh. The sort of guy, if you're honest, you try to get round the back off just in case he catches your eye. Now, he's probably a perfectly nice guy, but we all do it. I do it anyway. And John will... John will go up to the religious people and he calls them brood of vipers or to the politicians or to the soldiers. doesn't matter who. He will go up to anyone and he will tell them, repent. 
Just repent. That's his message. Repent and turn from your sins. John does not care for his own welfare. He doesn't care for his own safety. He simply knows that God has put a call upon his life, and he chooses to obey God. He chooses to obey God. So where did he come from? Well, Mark doesn't really mention anything about his parents. He doesn't mention the fact that he is the cousin of Jesus. In fact, Mark seems to get the fact or understand that John does not care what people think about him. He's not after popularity. He's not after winning a big following or a big crowd. He simply doesn't care. In all that he does, in all that he says, he wants to point people to someone else, to a better person. Because he knows that the king is coming. And John knows that he is not the most important person in this passage. And I don't think it bothers him even for a moment. And in Mark's no-frills approach to story writing... He simply throws in a few quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, from Malachi. Now, any Jewish reader who read those quotes would know in an instant that these are referring to God's coming Messiah. But as for John, he is described as someone who has come to prepare the way. But the real focus of attention, at least of Mark's attention, is, of course, on Jesus. And Jesus is the one that the Old Testament prophets are getting excited about. In God's plan for this world, Jesus is the hope of salvation. He is plan A. There is no plan B. It's therefore no surprise, as we heard last week, that central to this story, to this gospel that Mark is writing, is that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the one who is king, that he is the one who brings salvation to you and to me through the cross. But he is not only central to this book, he is central to God's will, he is central to God's plan. In fact, he is central to world history, and therefore, he should be central to your life and to mine. So who's John? Who is he? Well, I think as perhaps in Mark's eyes, in comparison to Jesus, he's a nobody, But he's not insignificant because he's described as a messenger. In fact, he brings to a climax all of the Old Testament. I guess in essence, he is the last of the Old Covenant prophets. And what he has to say about the Old Testament, the way in which he behaves, I think helps us to understand as we read the Old Testament because all of the Old Testament is pointing towards one man, to Jesus Christ. In fact, all of Scripture is pointing towards Jesus. In fact, all of this book is God's amazing story of how he loves you, of how he came to rescue you from sin from death to bring hope and freedom and life.
So is John, is he a prophet then? You know, I, I think if you were, not that you will be able to, but if you were to walk up to John and, as, at the River Jordan and say, John, are you a prophet? I think he would say, no. And if we were to ask John the question, John, who are you? He might just answer, I am a voice. The quote that Mark writes is from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, John knows he's not the most important person here. He knows he's not the Messiah. He, he, I don't even believe he thinks he's a prophet. He says, I'm simply, I'm, I'm a voice. And I hope we begin to see the contrast between John and Jesus, and it will become clear as the weeks go by. But Jesus, who is the Son of God, Jesus, who is King, Jesus, who is Lord. In fact, in John chapter 1, Jesus is described as the Word. And John says, says I'm simply a voice. I haven't come to teach. I've come to point people to Jesus. And John is the voice crying out, and he is has come to proclaim and to reveal the glory of Jesus. The voice speaks of a promise of hope beyond judgment. But perhaps most significantly of all, he speaks the very words of God. And he points people to Jesus. And all that John has to say about himself is, I'm a voice. You know, it was a time... There's a time for speaking. There's also, there's also a time just for quietness. And it's important that we, we, we take time out of our daily routine and we spend time in God's presence and we allow the Holy Spirit to minister into our lives. And that's key and that's important. But after those times, it's important that we get out there, that we are, we are the voice, that we are proclaiming, that we are pointing people towards Jesus. And what John wants to shout to everyone who will listen to him, don't look at me. This is not about me. This is about him. This is about Jesus. You, you don't want to be looking at me. Look, I, I'm a voice. You, you want to look at the Christ. You don't want a man. You want God. Look at Jesus. I have come to baptize in water. He's come to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Don't look at me. Don't be looking at me. And God is doing a new thing here. And all the time he is preparing the way for the coming of someone wonderful, someone incredible. The new thing that was happening here in the Jews was that they were getting baptized. Now, up to this point in Jewish history, Jews did not get baptized. They, they went through ceremonial cleaning, never baptism. In fact, the only people who got baptized were those who were non-Jews, the Gentiles, when they wanted to become a Jew. Now, the, the, um, the Jews, I guess, thought they were okay. We're God's people, after all. You know, we, what, what have we got to worry about? We can just sit back and relax and enjoy ourselves. We've got nothing to worry about. That was until John comes along and he tells them that their religious rules are pointless, that their hearts are hard and evil, that 
they are putting on this act before God, and God is not fooled, not even for a moment. It's time to repent, to confess your sins, to turn to God, and as a sign of that commitment, get baptized. It's time to make a stand. And what the Jewish people were doing in coming to John for this baptism was turning and making this huge statement against their Jewish culture in coming to John and, and being baptized. They are literally nailing their colors to the mast. Now, this is a naval phrase in days when we had sailing ships. And so when, when, a, when a sailing boat came under attack, often the captain, or at least sometimes the captain, would pull down the flag or the colors as an act of surrender. But very often, he would nail the colors to the mast. He would nail the flag to the mast. And he's saying to all of his men, we are not going to surrender. Listen, baptism is still as important today as it was back in John's day. In, doing, in coming through the waters of baptism, we are saying that Jesus has saved us, that he has rescued us, that he has cleansed us, and that we are never going to turn our back on him, that we are going to commit to following him. And if you are a Christian, if you have met with Jesus and asked him into your life, and you have not yet been baptized, can I encourage you to seriously consider that? what the Bible teaches, that we believe and then we are baptized. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. And if you have never been baptized yet, do come and talk to me afterwards. Love baptism services. It's a great time as we get together. But it's just a declaration that we are for Jesus, that we love him. We want to follow him. But as important as water baptism is, John says there's another type of baptism. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It just means to be immersed, to be filled, to literally have Christ in you. We need to live each day filled with his Spirit. We just ask. And Jesus gives. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. But there's one final little picture here about John. Okay, is he a prophet? Maybe, maybe not. Is he, he would say he's a voice. But there's another little picture from, the, from Isaiah here. And if you can imagine an area of woodland, of, of just rough ground. Now, when a king was going from one place to another, somebody would go ahead of him and literally just prepare the way. So he would fill in the potholes, he would remove the debris, get rid of some of the trees out of the road, and literally prepare a way where there was no way. And John says, that's me. That's my job. That's what I have come to do. I am the guy who's going before. It's not about me. It's that there's somebody really important coming after me, and I'm preparing a way. I'm creating a path, a path that at this moment may not exist yet. I'm preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the King. And John genuinely does not want to be seen. I've missed that before. You get that point? He doesn't want to be seen here. This is not about John. This is about somebody else. He wants Jesus to be seen. What about you? 
Is your heart's cry that Jesus is exalted above everything else? Are you more concerned about looking better? I guess John should be the model for every single one of us if we are Christians, if we love Jesus. He is our example. You know, our natural instinct, our natural desire is to, to want to feel good about myself. We want people to like us. I'm no exception. We, just, we want people to say how wonderful we are, how great we are. Love our ego strokes. Oh, it feels so good, doesn't it? It's great. It's, it's, that, that's just the way we are. Now, I'm not talking about us putting on some sort of false humility or, or trying to try and to, or, or, or even running people down. Look, we should be building and encouraging people up. Instead, we simply need to acknowledge that there is someone who is so much greater. Someone who is so much more wonderful that the king has come. And King Jesus left the glory of heaven and came down to this world as a baby. And as he grew up into a man, into a young man, he lived, uh, he faced the same difficulties, the same challenges that every one of you faced, yet he did it without sin. He did it absolutely perfectly. And as people looked at this man, Jesus, they thought, this is no ordinary man. There's something different about him. In fact, John writes, he says, says, after me comes one who's mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Guys, that's a big statement. John, who's scared of nobody, he he says, I'm not even worthy to go up to Jesus and untie his shoelaces. That's how important he is. That's how big a difference there is between him and me. And when John looks at Jesus, he sees a man, but he also sees God. I think that's what John understood. And because Jesus is both God and man, he is the only one who could possibly die for sin. He is the only one who could possibly deal with the situation of our sin. And and, and God, who is holy and right and just, And Jesus Christ went to the cross, and there he died for your sin. He died in your place, that by faith you can receive forgiveness and hope and freedom. This is the incredible message of the gospel that's free to every one of us. Truth is, one day we will all stand before God. And we will all have to give an account for what we have done and what we have said and for for how we have lived, and for how we have treated Jesus. And if we have turned our back on God, if we have turned away from Jesus and just ignored him, we stand before God with our sin. And because God is holy and right and just, the Bible tells us that we will be separated from him forever. It talks about a place called hell but that's, that's not where it ends because there is an amazing twist in this, isn't there? Because of Jesus Christ, because of his love for you, he paid the price. His death was enough that when you come and you ask him into your life, you stand before God as righteous and holy and just and forgiven. 
completely forgiven. That is God's love for you. And as Jesus comes and changes you, he saves you, and he transforms you, and you become more like him. And your desire should be that Jesus is glorified, that he is exalted. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you live, and you become you become a voice, like John, pointing others to Jesus, proclaiming Jesus as Lord. So, a guy called C.T. Studd, some of you will have heard of him. He was a cricketer. He played for England in 1882, quite some time ago now. And he played against Australia in what later became the Ashes. Won that day. And um, he also was a missionary. In fact, he went as a missionary to China, to India, to Africa. But one of the things that some people don't know about him is that at the age of 25, he received a huge inheritance. Overnight, he literally became a very, very wealthy man. Now, C.T. Studd could have chosen to become a famous, wealthy cricketer. Instead, as a young man, he chose to be a voice and to point people to a better man, to Jesus Christ. And he says, if Jesus Christ is Lord and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. John the Baptist, Mark, C.T. Studd, we could mention loads of names in there. They had all one thing in common. They had a passion to see Jesus glorified to point people towards Jesus Christ. And John knows he's going to have to step back. It's not about him. In fact, the very best that he can offer to people is a little bit of external washing through water baptism. But Jesus, he washes our hearts. He cleans our hearts and he fills us with his spirit that we can truly live for God, that we can truly know God, that we can live by his spirit every day. So who do we need? Jesus. And who do we preach? Jesus crucified for sinners. And what must we do? Present Jesus and not get in the way. I hope you catch the urgency, the freshness, the importance of Mark's words here. I think Mark just literally wants to shake people out of their sleepiness and into action to see and to savor Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. So, how do we apply this to ourselves in Chester, in this church plant? You know, we can easily look around at problems. We can come up with a list of excuses. I've got hundreds of them. I could, if you're running short of them, I'm sure I could come up with a few for you. You know, there's good reason why we, we could just sit back and do nothing. But listen, Jesus surely is worth the effort. And listen, if God could use John the Baptist in the middle of the wilderness, surely he can use us here in Chester. There's more people for starters. As I look around, I see a community that, that needs Jesus. As I look around at this group of people, I, I see huge potential in this room. 
But also as I look, I see Jesus as our only hope and his Holy Spirit as more powerful than some of you are even beginning to realize. So let's talk about Jesus. Jesus, who is mightier than any man, who is mightier than any prophet, who is greater than any church because he's the head of the church. He is Lord, and yet he is passionate for his church. He is passionate for you, that you live for him, that you are filled with his spirit. So give yourselves over to Jesus wholly. Serve God with all of your heart, with all of your strength. Be filled with his spirit and keep on being filled. And my prayer, my prayer is that you are passionate for Jesus, only Jesus, that you point people to him. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit fills each one of you, that you know his presence and his power that he equips you, and that, that he increases as you decrease. Let's stand together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, for your word. But Lord, more than anything, we thank you for Jesus, for the wonder, for the majesty, for, for all that he is to us and all that he's done to us. Lord, help us. Lord, just give us a fresh understanding, a fresh just vision, Lord, of who you are, of what you did for us on the cross, of how hopeless we are with you, but of how much hope we have in you. So, Holy Spirit, we say, come and fill us. Jesus, send your spirit right now on each one of us. Equip us and change us and enable us to live for you, to honor you. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.